You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Two Facts Matter. And uh, this show will be a little different than some of the other ones I've done recently. We're going to talk uh, about what's going on in the business world. And we're going to start out with a, a Mark Dorfman, who actually has a, a company called... Uh, pitch and present and he's going to tell us what he does before we get into what's going on in the business world uh, mark uh, what do you do and pitch and present so i tell people that i i help them get what they want and there's two ways to get what you want in this world number one is coercion and number and uh what kind of a clientele do you have? I mean, who is who? Who uses your your uh, services? Small business, medium sized business, big corporations. Who uses it? So I would say everyone. Uh, my clients tend to come from small, medium, and large size companies, Fortune five hundreds like Coca Cola, Home Depot, Georgia Power, down to um, entrepreneurs technology startups, independent professionals, doctors, lawyers, dentists, anyone who has to actually persuade somebody. Pitches. Yes. And I would think the venture capital pitches is very useful to for small businesses and entrepreneurs. They are. Uh, I work with a lot of teams that are looking to raise money. Uh, it can be a startup company that's preparing to do something like Shark Tank. It can be a non-for-profit that has to reach out to potential investors. Um, the client is sort of independent. The method is all the same. You know, what are we going to do to help somebody transact and give us what we need? And in terms of what we need, it tends it tends to turn into time, money, and effort. So Profits. Um, they may do some scholarship money for some of the students, but they don't give it to the school itself. So how would you handle that sort of transition? Uh, I mean, for example, John Marshall is advertising right now for a uh, development officer. So how would you handle if you were called in to, to give them some advice about uh, what to do and how, how to proceed? And I... From my experience with the John Marshall uh, board, uh, they could use some advice. Yeah, I think the first mistake people make is they tend to think that other people care about their issues as much as they do, and they don't. Basically, people care about themselves. And so the main thing, the, the primary objective is to help your audience see how they benefit from the transaction, right? Because you've got to make that emotional connection for somebody who's thinking about where to spend their discretionary funds, why your cause, your business matters to them, and how it will impact them in the near term and the long term. And it's a competitive space, and it's tough, but most people do such a horrible job at this stuff that if you're coached properly and you can understand how messaging works, you really put yourself at an advantage over your competitors. 
Well, let's, because uh, John Marshall Law School has a, a huge alumni group. I mean, it's, it's been around since 1933, and there are a tremendous number of very successful attorneys, John Marshall. I can think of one, I won't mention his name, that recently bought himself a condominium for over a million dollars at the St. Regis Hotel. Now, the St. Regis, for those of you who don't know, is really the place in Atlanta, prestige-wise. Uh, I... I tell my students I had breakfast there and they charge $18 for a bowl of cereal. Any place that charges 18 bucks for a bowl of cereal has to be up upscale. So, so you get these very successful alumni and, and some not so successful, but you get very successful alumni or moderately successful alumni. How do you make an appeal to them? They graduated uh, mostly in the last uh, since the year 2000 from a for-profit. Before that it was a non-profit. And they Obviously, many of them have uh, student loans they have to pay off. So how do you convince them? If I went out and said, I want to raise $2 bucks because I want to buy a new building for this law school, I need $2 million and the banks will finance 4 5 or $6 million. How do you appeal to them? How do you tell them that they ought to kick up some money when they say to you, hey, I'm still paying my, uh, my, my debt off? Well, I think the trick to that is it's an individual one-by-one methodology in the sense that I think if we try to please everyone, we end up pleasing no one. So the key here is to understand what would motivate somebody in that situation to help. And part of it is probably, well, if the reputation of our school increases and we have excellent people showing up, then the value of your degree also increases. It expands your network, and then you can see benefits that go well beyond the immediate contribution that you're making. Now, this isn't always easy, but that is the trick because everybody is trying to figure out what to do with their discretionary income, and there's a lot of competition for that. So I think the trick is to really understand the audience and figure out what would be beneficial to them. Okay, well, that's for because a nonprofit. How about uh, you've got a startup company and you've got a great idea. I've got a startup company I'm working with which has a patent. It's a process patent. Uh, it's in an area which is highly competitive in a lot of ways, although this process is unique in terms of it, what it does. And uh, it needs funds. And it needs funds before it has a really working pro- – it has a working prototype, which is not very impressive. The engineering firm has looked at it and says, yes, we can turn this into an impressive prototype. We can fix up all the problems and make it compact, and it'll work just great. You, you've got the, the patent. We can follow the patent, et cetera, et cetera. Now we have a an engineering firm says, well, how much is it going to cost us? So the engineering firm says, well, you know, for four prototypes, you got to figure at least $100,000. And after that, of course, we all test them. Each one we test and we improve. So we, in the end, we come up with four prototypes. The last one will be the one that uh, that we want to mar- that you'll want to market. So, how do you raise money when you don't? In Shark Tank, if you look at Shark Tank, people there already have a track record, already got a product that's already working. 
how, how do you raise money to, to a company that doesn't have the product yet, but has the patent, has, has the, the, the plan, has, there's a market, an identifiable market, but they don't have the product, a perfected product. Can, can you raise money for those kind of companies? You can. It's just a little bit more difficult in the sense that typically if you have no proof of concept in the sense that it's going out to market and then people are making sales, the trick is to get the first investor in. So once you have somebody, and hopefully it's somebody with a reputation that people can respect, once you have one person in, it tends to bring other people in. So for example, I used to be in the independent film business, right? And so we always operated from the principle that we don't have money. But if I can get a script that can attract an actor, but it just takes that one person that shows belief to get the second person in. And of course, it depends on how much you're asking, what their return is. And also, the other way to do this is if you can't get all of the package together, then maybe you don't move forward. So the trick is to build a team that has a commitment to move forward once they understand that all the players are in place to actually make this happen. And again, it's not always easy, but it really is a matter of packaging the deal so it looks attractive to the next people that come in. It's funny you should go into this film thing because some years ago I had uh, a, a, a script for a, uh, a film presented to me. And I actually had three, but we won't talk about the other two because they were really garbage. But I had one script that was really good. I cleaned it up a bit, and and it was too wordy, so I, I edited it, and I said to the author, I said, let me send this script to an agent. I know I have some contacts with agents. And the author says, no, I want control. I said, no one knows who you are. You have to have an agent or an actor interested in this script before you're going to achieve I can get you an agent we can probably sell the script maybe $25,000 or so this was you know 10 years ago 15 years ago so well, that's not enough I said nobody knows who you are you sell your first script people will know who you are let me send it to uh, this agent that I know big agency in California the the person I know in that agency was a student of mine when I when he was at law school at Widener in uh, Darryl, uh, Delaware and I know him well and he's I've called him up he said if I think the script is good he will make sure it's read and I had three scripts in fact just as a sidelight one of the scripts was one of my closest friend and a really, really close friend from college days. He's still a close friend. And he had a script that he gave me. He knew about my contacts. And he was so excited about his script. And I would send it to California and get it done. I will tell you the rest of that story after the break. 
Collister's Auto Transport is a privately held company celebrating our 75th anniversary this November, specializing in enclosed-only transportation to the OEM, personal snowbird market, and our favorite market of all is the collector market. Give us a call at 800-748-3160, or you can reach us on the web at mccollisters.com, and that's M C C O. L-L-I-S-T-E-R-S dot com. Large enough to handle all of your transportation needs, small enough to provide you the old town, old school service that you come to expect when you're moving your baby. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I am Roger B., host of the Locked and Loaded Show on America's Web Radio. Join me live every Tuesday at 1500 for the best in gun news, gun products, and gun politics. You're listening to America's Web Radio Online. Thanks for tuning in. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter, and I'm talking to Mark Dorfman, uh, who has a company called uh, uh, Pitch and Present, and I was just uh, actually sidelining him a little bit by... uh, going into some experience I had since he brought up this idea. He was a, a film, a independent film producer for a while. And uh, I had this, uh, uh, the, these, t- these two scripts. And the one script, I, I had three scripts. One script that I thought was really worthwhile, I could not convince the author that he could not control it, that the only way to sell this script was to get a, a recognized agent interested or an actor uh, and and that way, or, or director, somebody interested in it who had a reputation, because that's how it works in Hollywood. Uh, and, and the fact that it's a great script is irrelevant. They don't care. They want to know who's interested in it. And that's the, the crucial issue. And uh, I'll go back to uh, Mark Dorfman in, in a while about that. But in the, the other script I had that was a very close friend of mine, this one, and he's still a, he's now he's still a close friend of mine. We're, you know we're growing old at the same rate. I'm a little bit older than he is, and uh, he uh, sent me the script and he was real excited. Oh, you know these people in Hollywood? You have contacts? Yeah, I do. I said uh, you got to send him the script. This is my adventure story. I said, well, let me read it. And I read it and I read it twice and then I called him up and I said, yeah. I called him up you know a week later and he said, well, what do you think of my script? I said, well. Frankly, it really is lousy. I said, I, I will not send this script. Because if I do that, I will have no credibility with these people at all. It is terrible, in fact. What do you mean? I worked months on that. I was in London and uh, and, and on business with, with my wife, and she had things to do. So I spent my time writing it. I said, mm-hmm, okay, well. And I even presented it to to a, uh, a production company in, in, in England. And I said, and what did they say? They said, oh, well, they don't do adventure stories. Yeah, okay. They, so they brushed you off gently. Now I'm going to brush you off not so gently. It's no good. And I'm not sending it. And he didn't talk to me for months after that because he had spent so much time. But it was terrible. Uh, and another one I had was almost as bad uh, that was given to me. But we weren't – the person who gave me wasn't a good friend, so I, I had a lot easier time saying, 
you know, no good. I'm not going to do anything with it. But I still have the good script. It still sits in my office. I'm hoping that the author will someday call me up and say, this is 10 years ago, 15 years ago. No, actually more. It's 20 years ago. And say, can you sell the script for me? Because I still think I can. It's that good a story. But he won't sign the release. I can't do anything with it except let it sit there. And that's my experience, that it's not... It's like in Hollywood. Uh, it's your talent. There's tons of talented people in Hollywood who don't make it. And how do you make it? Well, you either got to know somebody, or you have to surprise somebody with a certain screen presence. I always turn out to what's his name? Um, can't act his way out of a paper bag, but he's a very, very successful actor, uh, and. Uh, Oh, he's an adventures actor. Anyway, he, he's a terrible actor, but he has great screen presence. You, you put him on the screen and you look at him, and the fact that he, he can't act is, is irrelevant. Look at Kathy Bates. She's a great actress. And she's not very good looking, that's for sure. She's dumpy, but how can you take your eyes off her when she's on the screen? She is fantastic. And so it's who you know or, or sometimes the screen presence. And the fact that you can act is probably the third most important thing. What's your experience with that, uh, Mark? Uh, I mean, I agree with everything you said uh, when it comes to filmmaking. Um, it's about putting together a package that someone's willing to invest in. And if they're not, then you should move on. And it's the same thing in business. Uh, it, you know, there are lots of people who will spend their entire lives or a large part of their professional careers driving, driving, driving with this one business idea. And the fact is, at a certain point, if you can't collect a team that believes in what you're doing, then it's probably time to move on. Um, so it's not that much different than what happens in Hollywood. But I will say this, you know, in my area of business, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I like to say that my teams and my clients never lose. Now, that's not true, but they easily will clean the clocks of other people that haven't had someone to coach them, you know. Most people think that because they have a voice and they understand the English language, that means they have the tools to convince and persuade. I tell them that they're wrong, and I will tell them that even the best athletes, the best football players, the Michael Jordans, the Derek Jeters, nobody would imagine a football team going to the Super Bowl without a coach. And so in my business, that's what I do. I coach. And it's amazing if I can watch somebody that hasn't been properly coached and just watch what they're doing, I can watch it fall apart in front of my eyes. I, I know lawyers who go out and they're pitching big business deals and they lose and they lose, and they lose, and they lose, and they lose, and they don't know why. Now, to me, it's obvious why, but to them, it's not. And so, 
Everything is about perception. The best product doesn't always win. The best marketed product often does. And for you to be in that league, you've got to clear a couple of hurdles and get to the point where someone's willing to take a risk and invest some money in what you're doing. This is really fascinating, and uh, I'm teaching a course in small business formation, and we're talking about startups. And uh, what Mark just talked about reminds me of one startup right now. I have two startups. One has a team, and we're having a conference call this afternoon, and, and the team is coming together, and I think it's going to launch and be successful. The other one, I put a team together. I put a corporate attorney together. I I brought on board one of the most experienced transactional attorneys in Atlanta who had be, who's retired from his uh, uh, major law firm and uh, put a couple of uh, other people involved, uh, marketing, uh, small investors, and virtually everybody has walked away. And... You mean in terms of your team? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and I asked one of them, I said, look, uh, the two key people have both walked away at this point. And uh, I asked one of them, I said, I said, your client isn't serious. He is, comes across as unfocused and not serious. So where is he now? I said, he's probably fishing in Apalachicola. Where is he now? Well, he went with his girlfriend to Michigan. And uh, what has he done to put this thing together properly? Well, we're talking to en- an engineer now. Now, And what are you going to do about the engineer? So the fact that your client has a brilliant idea, has a patent, there's a market, but people look at him and walk away. Right. Happens a lot. I've worked a lot with, um, I do a lot of work, especially here in Georgia, the Technology Association of Georgia. I do a lot of work with uh, business plan competitions where investors are actually showing up, almost like Shark Tank, and different teams are pitching. And at the end of the day, uh, the single most important thing is that they believe, if I'm going to invest in your company... I know that from day one, whatever your plan is, is going to change. From day one, that battle plan is going to change. So what I'm betting on is a very strong leader that can guide a very competent team. They're betting on the jockeys, not the horse. That's right. Management is very important. And, one of the, and that's interesting because the last meeting I had with the engineers... And, and, and this was an impressive group. There's a, uh, three of them shows up, throw it showed up, and to talk with the client. By the end of the meeting, they quit focusing on the client and were focusing on me because they. You can see by their body language that they were less and less had less and less confidence in him, and were wondering if there was someone who was really running the show and could run the show. Yeah, he had the idea, he had the creativity, he had the patent, but no question the way they were reacting to him, they had no faith that he could actually run the show. And and, and, and I I explained that to him, and deaf ears, of course. Um, And so he says to me, um, there's this group uh, foundation in, in Georgia that helps small businesses, 
headed by a very prominent individual who I happen to have contacts with. Well, let's go pitch it to him. This Everyone really is impressed with this idea and this whole project. I said, no, I'm not pitching. Not unless we have something to show them. We have, oh, I got the patent. Good. That's number one. You got the patent. Great. Where's your prototype? Well, I got it. I said, that prototype does, it doesn't impress anybody. The engineer told you what to do with the prototype and how to do it. When, we, when you fund the engineer and he gets you the prototype, and with the, I'll introduce you. But I'm, now I'm not going to do I won't do it either unless I have Mark Dorfman to, to coach him because he loses his audience. He doesn't understand that every time we've been in front of a group, he loses the audience. Whatever it is, these are sophisticated people, and they kind of understand this is un, he's unfocused, and he is, uh, has, his management skills are close to zero. No matter how creative he seems to be, he loses his audience. Right, and so that typically is a death sentence. I mean, we've all seen great communicators, uh, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. You know, it takes somebody with a vision and the ability to communicate success to drive something forward. You've got to inspire people. You've got to trigger something in them emotionally that makes them think, I can't not be a part of this. I mean, I I see people pitch and present all day long. Most of them are absolutely horrible. They are focusing on themselves. They're focusing on the product. When the only thing that someone who they're speaking to cares about is what is in it for me. What's my risk? What's my reward? When do you see yourself delivering? And what is the exit strategy? And most people haven't thought through that stuff. They're just so high on their own personal product. Nobody else cares. It's all about them. You know, this is really intriguing because I've been talking to my class about those very same things and uh, and telling you know, that exit strategy is important because it depends on who you're going to. Some are in for the long haul and some are not. And so uh, when uh, we talk about an angel investor, a true angel investor who's really risking a lot, and, and I... And I ask, and I'll, I'll ask them, what do you think they're looking for as a return? And I'll give you that answer after the break. This is David Donaldson with the Atlanta Healing Center, conveniently located in Lawrenceville, Georgia. At AHC, your success is our goal. Addiction recovery is about more than just not using. It's about becoming a whole person and addressing all aspects of your physical, psychological, and social needs. Please call us at 770-696-9862, or you can reach us on the web at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hey, folks, this is Victor Armendariz with the On Point with Victor show. Just to remind you, don't miss every Tuesday, 2 to 3, live right here on America's Web Radio. And remember, I'm not angry. I'm just right. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I am Roger B., host of the Locked and Loaded Show on America's Web Radio. Be sure to join us live every Tuesday at 1500 hours for the latest in gun news, gun products, gun politics, and other gun-related stuff. That's Tuesday, 1500 hours, America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter, and I'm talking to Mark Dorfman, uh, and, and who has a company called Pitch and Present, and some a company that coaches and helps businesses uh, uh, make presentations, market, market what they're selling, raise money, you name it, and he's done it. And uh, we were just asking the question about a true angel investor, someone who really is coming in on a flyer. And, and I explained to the, the, my students that there's a difference between an angel investor and a long-term investor uh, who, 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 you know, a, a venture capitalist. A venture capitalist may be someone who's staying in, uh, wants, looks at this company and says, someday it's going to go public. We can wait for that to happen. We can cash it at that time. And not that saying that angel investors don't want to cash in like that, too, but they usually have a little bit of a short-term strategy. That's what I think. What do you think, Mark? I think you're right. Uh, although it can change. In other words, an angel investor who goes in with a short-term exit plan, if the company is successful, they don't want to leave, right? Because they say, well, why should I leave now? I'm doing so well. Let's just stick it out. And they may not want to be part of the management team, but they're happy to watch the success of the company. So it really depends on who that individual is and what their goals are. And in between, from when they invest and when they thought they would exit, you don't know what circumstances have changed in their life, where this fits in a portfolio of other things that they've been investing in. And so I don't think there's really one right answer. I think it's it's constant communication. But I would like to tell a, a very quick story that I think is illustrative of a lot of the companies that I work with uh, in terms of, you know, I will say that the, the key to success starts with understanding your customer, whether it's the person that's going to put in money, the person that's going to do a deal, the person that's going to buy your product. So, for example, when they were building the, the Georgia Aquarium, right, so they put out a, an RF to a bunch of construction companies. Every single one of them was perfectly capable of building this aquarium. They all had a long history of, of construction experience, and you name it. Obviously, they're building hospitals. They're doing all this stuff. They can probably build the aquarium. The interesting thing is one of the teams... What they did is they drilled down and they made a phone call, and it's partially funded by um, the Home Depot guys, the George Aquarium. Yeah, Bernie Marcus. Bernie Marcus, right? And so a phone call was actually made, 
And the question was, what is Bernie's main concern? In other words, there are going to be 10 companies that are all equally capable of building your aquarium. What is the single most important thing that someone can bring to the table that might get them the win? And you know what he said? He said, the last thing I want to have at my aquarium is a tank that breaks. That's it. I can't have a shark coming out of a tank with parents and kids. And so the company that won was a company that had very little experience in building anything like an aquarium, but they worked they worked with um, technologies in the fuel business where you can't afford to have a leak in anything. And so their specialty was managing controlling leaks. And so even though they weren't the biggest, most prominent construction company, the fact that they could guarantee nothing in this aquarium will leak got them the contract. And if you didn't make the call and you didn't find out, you wouldn't know. You would have been just like everybody else. And may not have gotten the contract. May not have gotten, because you don't know what's on the mind of the person that wants to be involved. You don't know what their motives are, so you need to ask. Yes, and of course, uh, Bernie was the main, uh, Bernie Marcus was the main funder of that aquarium. That's right, and the last thing Arthur Blank, his partner, went and bought the Falcons and the, the soccer team, United Soccer Team, but Bernie decided to build an aquarium, yeah. among other things. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's quite a, he's quite a character. I, I had the pleasure of, um, uh, being at a couple of meetings where he spoke, and, uh, he's really, really good, uh, in, in uh, presenting his theory of business and, and talking about the success and telling about the marketing story about uh, he and Arthur, the yeah, third guy out in Texas, when they first opened Helm Depot, they had no money, but they wanted to make believe they had lots of inventory, so they would have empty boxes, rows and rows of empty boxes with the actual product in, in the front. So they, you know, would, oh, we'll deliver it. So they would order it from the factory as they got orders. But people went into the initial Home Depot and they thought, oh, look at how well stocked. They must be successful. The last thing you want to show is empty, uh, empty boxes. And, uh, there's another place that when I go to, uh, my house in Florida, we go down 85 and then we go to some side roads and there's this, um, Pioneer Museum and it's a complete failure and, it, and you say well why is it a complete failure it's real simple they put the museum buildings which are old buildings which are kind of interesting by themselves facing the road and what they should have put facing the road is the parking lot people get attracted by people so if the parking lot was out front and there were cars there more people would stop and go see the buildings but they put all these buildings uh, on there and the parking lot in back. So they get no customers because people want to see people. And so marketing is extremely important and, and knowing what people want to see, what people want. And, I, and I, I think that's what I said, that the reason it's a failure, 
they put the parking lot in the wrong place. Yeah, most people don't take the time. In the film business, we call it pre-production, which is gathering the information, getting prepared before we go out on a set, and then it starts costing us tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. Everybody is so interested in getting to work and doing the building that they forget if they don't do the research and the homework up front, then the foundation is on shaky ground and it's very likely to fail. So um, it's a process. And it's a process that not everybody follows. There are lots of great ideas out there. Most of them never make it to the market. And even those that do, many don't succeed because the approach is not thoroughly thought through. Yeah, and they don't think through what the competition is. And I've told them, uh, t- I've told them several times. There's a uh, study some years ago, 25, 30 years ago. I don't know. I'm old. I, I, I don't know. Time passes. And the idea was, well, if you build a better mousetrap, uh, the public will, will, will run to your door. And, and the, the study, and the guy got the Nobel Prize in economics, was not if they're satisfied with the mousetrap they have already. So you can build a better mousetrap, but if they're already satisfied, they're not going to be a path to your door. Right. And uh, and I tell that I have a project for my students. I hope you're listening uh, where the, they should not make the deal, period. They should not make the deal. And I hope they come out that way because they're supposed to negotiate a deal and get all the issues on the table. And there's what's called BATNA best alternative and the best alternative here is walk the deal and we'll see what happens on that and getting to that point i want to talk in this year of 2020 this year of the pandemic and the riots what's happening out there to businesses what have you seen a change in uh, in the business community especially small business or or uh, medium businesses can they still raise money are they going to stay in business what what do you think is happening out there i think there's a lot of uncertainty because right now they're almost tectonic shifts right we could see right away people ramped up if they could get a hold of masks and gloves and all that kind of stuff for the virus well at some point there's going to be a shift somehow. A vaccine comes out, uh, laws change. Um, so I think, you know, if you're chasing niche opportunities that are, you see openings on the fly, there may be some way to make some quick money. But to have some sort of a longer standing business model that takes you out of the vicissitudes of the constant ups and downs and perhaps you can be in a space where you supply other companies that might be a safer bet i think right now there's a lot of turmoil in in small business depending on what industries you're in but i also think at the end of the day a lot of the big players are going to weather this storm much better you know smaller companies just don't have the resources to ride out what's going on right now well there was one estimate by a group of economists that said during the pandemic and the riots that 500 billion dollars has been shifted to the large companies that the big box stores amazon are making out like bandits at the expense of smaller stores smaller businesses and that uh, i don't see do you see the retail market the malls 
and all these little stores coming back? I don't know if they're going to come back in the way that they were, but there's, to a certain extent, there are still some businesses that really do require personal attention, people-to-people interaction, and at some point, I think you're going to see more of that. There's only so much you can do when you don't have the ability to look somebody in the eye, to have a conversation. Uh, You could spend an hour going back and forth text messaging a company because they don't want to have a customer service person actually speak to you where the problem would have been resolved in a minute. So I I think there are a lot of things that are taking place now. Some will succeed, some will shake out. Um, But I think right now it's a bit uncertain. You're right. I had... uh and I think the other thing is, of course, a lot of people have gotten used to relying on the big box stores. And I, I'll tell a story of um, going. I have uh, I have got, got these two fish, armored catfish. They sell as posthumous at the pet shop. I caught them in Florida. They're invasive species, and in Florida, you catch them and it's un- <laughs> illegal to uh, put them back. Once you catch, and they want you to euthanize them or do something with them. I just took them home to my fish tank and uh, put them in my fish tank. And they are algae eaters, they're bottom feeders. So I go, and this is where I tell about competition, I go to Petco and the bottom feeding food, $7 and something at Petco. You go to Walmart, same thing as three sixty eight. So it's almost double at Petco. So I tell them, you know, you got to look at your competition. And a lot of the big box stores are getting to all sorts of things. Why is GNC in so much trouble? Because every drug store is carrying 70% of what GNC carries. So GNC has to rely on their steroids and stuff like that because every store in the world is carrying all these vitamin pills, right, and herbs and, and what have you. And, and so if you don't check your competition, you aren't going to succeed because you could get killed and uh, so one reason a lot of these smaller stores are dying is despite the fact they may have some personal attention to their customers, they don't understand what they're competing against. So you really have to have really good personal contacts to keep the customers coming at the prices you're trying to charge. We're up against the break, and we'll be back right after the break. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. 
If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. It's Professor Robert D'Agostino with Do Facts Matter, and we're talking to Mark Dorfman. And I'm going to tell, uh, uh, before the show's over, how you can get in touch with Mark if you need uh, his services. I I have a client that I think could very badly use his services, and hopefully uh, I can get the the client to to listen, since the client uh, is let's say reluctant to necessarily listen to me, uh, he does sometimes, but it gets a little exhausting because he never pays me anything, and I guess you get what you pay for, and I guess he's feeling since he's not paying me, he doesn't have to listen to me. Uh, and uh, the producer here at the, of my show, uh, Dave Moxley, is uh, familiar with with this guy and is wondering what the, what's the problem since he's we're about two years into delay on uh, getting to the market in this in this particular one uh, as I said I have two startups the other one looks like it's in good shape but uh, that I'm working on as a consultant and this one is uh, not um, okay what uh, is mark another question what's the future of malls and all those little shops and malls I mean I go to one mall and it's empty, I go to another mall and it's loaded to the gills. You go out to where the Braves, I guess it's called Truist Park. Who thought up that name? How many how many millions of dollars did they pay someone to think up the name Truist? I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know anyone who thinks that's a good name, but yet it was sold to a, a, a big banking corporation as, as a new name for the bank. Truist? What does that mean, Truist? I mean, it's just, what does it mean? You're, you're, you're a, a consultant. You know how important marketing is. I always tell the students about Marlboro cigarettes. Marlboro cigarettes, when it first came to the market, was, was pushed, marketed as a cigarette for women. Nobody bought them. A couple of years later, they come up with this guy with a patch on a horse and made it a man's cigarette. It became the largest selling cigarette in the world. And did they change the cigarette? Nope. No, and they then, changed the marketing. And then Camel came in and said, you know, we're going to go after the niche that they abandoned. We're going to appeal to women. We're going to appeal to kids. We have this great little cartoon Camel. And so there you go. And it didn't work, did it? Not over the long term, no. No, it didn't work. Uh, it depends on the mistakes on marketing. The other story I tell is about the Jeep Cherokee. Uh, the Jeep Cherokee, way back when they first had this Cherokee, the year before it was called the Jeep Utility Wagon. Nobody bought it. Then they changed the name to Cherokee, and they couldn't keep up with the production. <laughs> A simple change of the name from Utility Wagon to Cherokee. And I bought one that, that, that year. I bought uh, a Cherokee Chief. 
and uh, that was my uh, first big Jeep. We went camping with that car uh, with the kids for years. It, uh, in, in those years, was, Jeep was a parts bin. American Motors had it, so you never knew what parts were in the Jeep. The engine was good, good, but everything else you had, and the t- transmission was a GM transmission. It was good, but the rest of it occasionally would fall apart. But anyway, getting back to the question. Uh, What's 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 the future in these some of these malls? I don't. There's such a difference in from mall to mall. Yeah, I guess some will turn out to be warehouses for companies like Amazon. You know, they have the real estate, they have the parking lots, they have the infrastructures. Others will be little niche areas where people just want to go shopping because they enjoy shopping. And I think the trick is to provide a service in person that you can't get by clicking through something on the internet. You know, for example, men's clothing. There are lots of places where you can order clothing. You get it back, you try it on, it may or may not fit. And that can be an iterative process. You're sending it back, you're trying it on. You're sending it back, you're trying it on. So I think there are going to be certain businesses where just by the nature of how people interact with that product or service, you're going to need some personal attention. Other things will be commoditized. And the rest of that, I don't really know. I'm not sure if anyone knows, especially if the government decides to get involved and start looking at uh, monopolistic practices that start to break things up. Well, of course, the, uh, that that you know, puts things like Google and Facebook and and uh, those uh, Twitter and those those groups right at the crosshairs. If uh, in terms of monopoly power, I mean, I think uh, we've never had not even the heyday of Rockefeller and the oil monopoly. We never had such powerful monopolies before as the Facebook and Amazon and Google. And uh, Snapchat is owned by, I think, Facebook, isn't it? So, so and Oracle, you have, and they're all tied up together. So, uh, and, and they have special protections from, uh, from from government regulation. I tell my my friends who are libertarian, economic libertarians, that uh, yes, libertarian economics may create more total wealth than any other system, but it's also very disruptive and very destructive of community. So, so a certain level of control or regulation is needed, not what the obviously the left wants to do. But uh, you do have uh, there's a rule a role for monopoly laws, and there, there's a, and obviously there's a role for uh, safety and health regulation. Uh, economic regulation is another thing. You go too far. Uh, if the government wants to pick winners and u- losers, that's a big mistake. The Obama administration proved that when they picked all these green companies as winners, and they all went bust. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. Right now, uh, I was involved with a uh, company as a consultant, a voluntary consultant some years ago, and they were trying to buy another store. They had uh, a particular specialty product and uh, and they wanted to buy another store that sold the same product and the idea was they would reduce their cost because they had more volume and they get a better break. And I said to them, uh, I said, well, you've got to 
current store. How is that doing? Well, not too well. You know, our prices are high. Our inventory is, is high. I said, so are you making money? Well, you know, not really. We we pay our bills, but, uh, you know. I said, so, so you want to buy another store so you can lose money in two stores instead of one store? Said, well, we don't see it that way. I said, because we're going to reduce the cost. I said, let me ask you a question. Who's your competition? What are you selling? Are you selling something? You're selling information, no question, but you don't charge for that. People come and ask your advice about the various things. What about the products you're selling, where you make your money? Who else is selling that stuff? Well, have you have you gone to Walmart recently? Go to Walmart. they got a whole row of the same thing you're selling, certain kinds of uh, food, pet food. that has a whole row, the entire row. And compare their prices with yours. So they come to you for advice, and they go to Walmart and buy the stuff, right? And I always tell them about my Petco thing. Go to Petco. I get shrimp pellets. They want seven fifty or so, some for it. Go to Walmart, three sixty eight. Same thing. Same thing. And when I go to Walmart, I always buy two or three cans. And sometimes that's all they have on the shelves, and I buy them all. And because I know I, I, I need them for my two invasive fish from Florida who uh, like to uh, eat those shrimp pellets along with some other wa- algae wafers. But, um, and by the way, if anyone wants them, uh, I, you know, we're getting old and I'm thinking about selling the house and I got these two fish. Uh, they're living in a 76-gallon tank right now uh, and they're getting big, so you have to have a big tank for them. But, uh, and I also have a little turtle in that tank which my son caught when he was a little hatchling just out of an egg. Now he's full grown, and it's a musk turtle, so they're mean when they're little, and they're mean when they're full grown. So there's no way of not getting bitten by him if you handle him incorrectly. He doesn't care the fact you've fed him till very well over the last five years as he's grown to a full, uh, a, 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 a full-grown musk turtle. They're small, those turtles. But anyway, uh, so anyone, call, you know, get in touch with me if, you, if you'd like to uh, adopt two, two fish. Uh, <laughs> well, let's let's go back to this. But what to is, your point, I just want to say that yeah. you'd have to be crazy to think that you're going to get involved in something where you're going to compete on price with a big box store. That's a failing strategy. In other words, if all you are is a commodity product and you know that someone's going to go run to Walmart, that seems like a very challenging and unsustainable business model. So more and more, it's going to be very important that businesses convey their unique, distinctive value add in a way that other people can understand it, because then really there isn't that competition. And that's the goal, is to be smart is to be smart and figure out where is your in and how can we be in a position where the competition is a lot less because we're in thinner air. To try to compete with Walmart, I don't know how you do that. That's right. And in fact, what I just told you about, they did not buy the other store uh, after I went through all the problems, including the aging of the inventory and everything else you go through. And their uh, original store went bust. Uh, The pandemic put it under. It was the end of the road. uh, And they can't reopen. There's no way. Uh, And uh, people get... uh, 
very excited. I, I another th- interesting thing, just because you're very smart doesn't mean you know what you're doing. I, I tell another story, which is well, a true it, story. Knowledge and wisdom are very different. Very different. I have a uh, a actual case study uh, made at the Harvard Business School, and it was three graduates of the Harvard Business School who consider themselves very, very intelligent, very smart, which, of course, they were, and they thought they could go and buy a franchise, and they knew nothing whatsoever about the business, nothing about running a business, but they were so smart, they would buy a franchise and get raise money and open six more of these franchises, and the supplier was in New England. They wanted to open this franchise in Florida, so the question, and I gave this problem to my students, I want to see if someone comes up with, how do you get the supplies from New England to Florida when it's food, a lot of it's foodstuffs? How do you assure you're going to get supplied? And, uh, and these little things, little tiny things uh, can affect your success or your failure. And, and that's why it's so important, I think, for uh, these entrepreneurs, these these aspiring entrepreneurs, to get some good advice. I used to uh, do voluntary work for the Small Business Administration when I was teaching at Widener in Delaware, and uh, I used to speak before people who wanted to start businesses and were in trouble. And you know, oh, we never thought of that. We never thought. It's sometimes it's the little things you think about. And anyway, uh, I want to thank uh, Mark. And Mark, how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to? So you can, uh, my website, my company is Pitch and Present, uh, and you can find that at www.pitchandpresent.com, spelled out. You can email me at mark at pitchandpresent, M-A-R-C, and, you know, I'm happy to have a conversation with you, figure out what you're doing, and see if there's a win-win scenario where I can help. And I can tell you this, I've never worked with someone who I couldn't help. And I'm going to be recommending it one of my clients to Mark sometime today. I'll give him the name to Mark, and so when he gets a phone call from him, hopefully he'll give him some good advice. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.